Welcome back to the One Link Podcast. We are continuing our series on evangelism today. You know, after talking with David and Matt, I just thought it might be really helpful to walk through uh, how they do their Campus E. And so I invited Micah on to do that. And this one's a little different. I actually posted a video on YouTube, which will be in the show notes. So if you want to see the document as Mike is talking through, like how he goes about actually discipling somebody to use this, that might be useful. I didn't do as much editing on this because of that. So you can go get it on YouTube or you can listen to it here. But if you want to see what we're saying, please by all means hop on YouTube. It's a long one today. I'm not cutting it for you. And uh, we're going to keep moving on. Coming up next in our podcast, we're going to move over to some overseas people talking about evangelism overseas. So it'll be really good. Jump in with us today, and we'll talk with you later. Hey, Micah, welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm glad to be here, James. Yeah, you know, you're getting to be here often enough that you're almost almost becoming a regular guest now. <laughs> I know. That's why I told you I was concerned that people might get Micah fa- fatigue. Fatigue. Yeah. I was thinking we were like one step closer to getting you on staff. That's what I was thinking. If we could just slowly, slowly up the up the frequency. Next thing we know, I'd be like, well, we have this this other meeting we'd like you to come to. And next thing you know, you could be working for us. I guess it's a lot easier to get tricked into working remotely for somebody than working <laughs> for somebody. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, I am really glad you came on today. I uh, wanted to kind of talk through some more about this campus evangelism method that you guys use at New Mexico State. You know, we talked with your dad. I wanted to walk through this with you just in terms of like, how do you go about training somebody to do this? In some ways, maybe a more practical, hands-on deal. I know uh, one time when I got to go down to Fort Worth, you and I went over to a campus to share just so I could see how you did it. And so you told me some things along the way that you're like, oh, I always tell them this and this. And I thought, man, it'd be good to record that and have that out. They can see what you're talking about. And then let's jump in. All righty. So we're looking at evangelism, sweat-free witnessing, the study series. Jump in here. How do you begin training a guy? Practical, hands-on. Well, I think initially it begins with the mentality of the trainer, which this isn't even on the on the page here, it's kind of backed up even before this step of believing that it's worth your time to train a guy or ladies to train a gal one-on-one repeatedly in evangelism, the same way that we might meet with somebody for one-on-one discipleship. And, And what I've found is that evangelism training is not really separate from disciple discipleship training holistically. Uh, ultimately, if you're growing in discipleship, you should be growing in living life, a lifestyle of a witness. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes we don't do that in our discipleship meetings. You know, we we meet up at a church or at a coffee shop or in our homes and we talk about things, uh, but we're not necessarily doing what the disciples had the benefit of doing with Jesus, which is to actually go on the go learning from the mentor in evangelism. And so for me, when I, now that I'm, when I disciple people, I really try to work in some evangelism outings in my discipleship meetings best I can. But I also love to take a guy and 
just say, I'm I'm just going to focus. It's almost kind of, I'm going to take this out of the discipleship competencies and give it its own special attention, weekly attention, because I believe it's that important. And because I believe it's that under addressed, mm. I want to meet with you and specifically just show you how to master a given evangelism part uh, presentation. Cause if you can, if you can master that, then you'll be far more ready to share in any given scenario than if you're, you know, just somewhat familiar with a bunch of evangelism presentations. I want to get you really good at one. And I think it's worth the time to give it its own weekly meeting where we go out and actually share this, of course, is great on a college campus. I mean, it just lends itself to this form of training because where else are you going to find a bunch of people who are in a public space and are in a season of life where they're open to new ideas? They're very open minded, open to conversation. And they also happen to just be sitting around waiting for like 30% of the day during the week. <laughs> so it's pretty easy to, to go find somebody who's just sitting there waiting. What are you doing? I'm waiting. <laughs> well, it, it's a little bit easier to start conversations that way. But I think it it helps and it carries forward into non-campus scenarios. At least it has for me over the last 10, 12 years. Um, even off the campus, this kind of training has been really helpful. Okay. But usually, if I if I approach a guy, that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him. Go ahead, James. Okay. So can I just ask this? So if you're discipling a guy, are you scheduling essentially two weeks, two meetings a week with him then? Or yeah, is that how that works? Like I have one no. where we're talking about maybe what you're studying in the Bible, some other things, and then another separate one where you're taking him out and doing evangelism. How does that look practically? I haven't done that before. What I did start working in towards the end of my time on staff at the OU BCM was to just make every other discipleship meeting an evangelism outing and to be okay with cutting in half the amount of content that I could work on with the guy in favor of on the go practical training. And, and I just found that to be like a sacrifice that I was willing to make after having seen like, man, I'm not really actually showing my guys how to, how to live on purpose and live on mission mm -hmm. because it's hard to schedule another meeting. Yeah. It, it just ends up being hard to do that. But normally when I'm actually training a guy week after week, it's a separate thing. Like my hope is that he is also being discipled by somebody in the context of a ministry, or it may be that I want to, this is like my soft entrance to discipleship. There's a couple of guys that I've, begun by presenting to them the idea of doing evangelism training. Mm -hmm. And then after a semester or a year, then it turned into full-fledged discipleship once they were trained in the evangelism presentation, because we had kind of been in the trenches together. And so they were even more likely to, maybe they wouldn't been open to discipleship at the beginning, but they were open to evangelism training because that was a felt need or a felt deficit. Mm. Once we had been in the trenches together, I think they, I just had more credibility with them, more trust. We trusted each other. And so it pretty naturally turned into a, a full-fledged holistic discipleship relationship. But yeah, normally it's a, it's like a separate thing for me. Not saying that you couldn't do two meetings a week with your guy. Okay. You saw the benefit of, of starting with discipling, sometimes even getting to this, sorry, with evangelism training, getting you to discipling. I think if we're going to really, like, especially with this particular presentation, 
that I like to train guys in, it it's going to require weekly repetition. That the closest that you can get to it. And so that's why I really try to make it its own separate thing. And it won't last as long as a discipleship relationship probably will. But making it its own separate thing, I find, is is worth it. Because then you're also going to recruit them on the basis that they're going to turn around and train somebody else so that you can multiply yourself. And especially time, then I got a guy right now that I'm training here at Texas Baptist College. And I've told him, I want to train you in this presentation. And it's on the understanding that you'll turn around and train somebody else. And so our goal for the spring semester is that we'll get him finished up and, and ready enough to pick somebody else up, one of his peers or a freshman and start taking them out weekly. And that'll free me up to start taking somebody else out. That's but excellent. usually when we start, yeah, it, I mean, it's the same principles as discipleship. It's just kind of like extracting the evangelism portion mm-hmm. <laughs> and giving it special attention. Maybe as we go through it, we can understand or flesh out more. Is it usually pretty well like a year-long process, a semester process? How long does it typically take someone to feel like, for you to feel like they're trained, for them to feel like they're trained? What I have found is that there's no typical. Okay. Uh, Actually, I had one guy, probably the average is like a semester and a half. If I was going to give an average of the average evangelism training relationships. But I had a guy who I was able to train in four weeks because he memorized the stuff really quickly. He was ready to start doing it on his, doing portions of it on his own right away. He worked on it throughout the week and he was just pretty outgoing and, and conversationally confident already by the time I got him. So after four weeks, I was like, man, I think you're ready to go ahead and train somebody and you'll learn it even better as you train them. There's another guy that I trained that it took a lot longer. He was really sharp. He could memorize the presentation very quickly. But when he came to me, his biggest deficit was the social side of things. So I felt like we got to train the presentation really early and spent a year working on how to not be awkward in some ways. And and that's a lot of what evangelism training does too, is, is teaching people how to just interact with others well. And I felt like it took a year for us to get him to where I felt kind of ready that maybe he could train somebody else. That the whole, all told, it turned out to like a year and a half long training. Very interesting. So, where do you go? You get a guy, he comes to you, you come to him, however that goes. How do you start? Yeah, usually I'll just present, hey, I would love to. Some, sometimes it starts by, and you want to just go with me to share the gospel. That's kind of a before I pitch the whole committed weekly thing. But once we get to the place where I'm ready to invite them to a to commit to a weekly training, then our first meeting, we don't actually go out on campus and share. I'll bring them in and I'll use this sweat-free witnessing guide that's in front of us here on the screen. Because it kind of just, it really deals with some assumptions that people have um, that may make them hesitant to do this kind of evangelism. I think what is often called cold turkey evangelism, and and my dad may have spoken about this term on this podcast, you know, it's it's not really true, but it's got a stigma, an unfair stigma today in the 21st century that it doesn't work or it's offensive or it's more detrimental or it's dishonorable or, or something like that. And that's these scriptures and these 
principles that I think help introduce the idea that that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. And then they're, that's reinforced by the outings and them getting to see it for themselves. So things like questioning your pride. Am, am I too proud? Am, am I too concerned with not being embarrassed to share the gospel with people? Mm-hmm. That exceeds my burden for the lost to know Christ. Then, then that that could be a reason why I'm not sharing the gospel regularly right now. <laughs> or the idea that no one I meet, you know, well, you know, nobody I meet is interested in the gospel, and certainly nobody that I meet randomly on a campus will be interested in the gospel. And you got to get them to it. You got to at least get the person to the point, the guy or the gal, to the point where they're willing to try it. So that then they can see for themselves that that's not true at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. not true. Experientially, it's not true, but also biblically, it's not true. God is drawing people to Christ. He gets there before us, and that's why it's not actually cold turkey evangelism. Just understanding that that's a lie that Satan wants to use. Nobody's interested. That person is interested. You shouldn't talk to that person. They're not interested. You shouldn't, talk, you know, even in relational settings your uncle's not interested in the gospel you know your co-worker is not interested in the gospel that sort of thing and it's also really helpful if you want to scroll down just a little bit on this document james yeah just to get the second half of the page to use the permission basis i know that's already been covered on the, the podcast some too and that has a lot to do with believing that god is the primary agent of people coming to faith and of gospel conversations happening that he is going before us we can never get some get to somebody where god hadn't gotten there first and that means we have the freedom to ask somebody point blank you know essentially not in these words but would you like to have a conversation about knowing the god who created you and having eternity with him and if they say no, then we don't try to argue with them. We trust that God is working a timing for them that maybe we're not a part of. Yeah. And if they say yes, then we recognize that God got there before us and it wasn't because of the winsomeness of our question asking. Ultimately, though the temptation might be to believe that nobody will actually say yes if you direct in asking them permission to share the gospel with them. Um, that's also not true, <laughs> just experientially. It may be that it's more true in certain settings and contexts and environments than in others, but it's not true altogether, even yeah, because, overseas, <laughs> outside of the United States. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, I feel like, depends on where you're coming from what your viewpoint is but a lot of people would say that a college a college campus would be like the worst place the place with the most liberal views the people that are most against god what percent what percent of people would you say when you ask them are like uh yeah yeah i'd have a conversation yeah well that's actually something i ask my guys during this first meeting i tell them what we're going to do i say we're going to go up to people that are sitting by themselves on college campus and we're, and it's going to be same gender. And we're going to ask, we're going to say this, Hey, we're on campus today and we're talking to people about a relationship with Jesus. 
would you mind if we ask you a few questions? And then I'll ask the guy during this first meeting saying, and I'll say, how many people do you think will say yes to that? And they're, you know, some of them will be really honest and say, nobody say yes to that. <laughs> and, and some of them will, you know, give a percentage, you know, maybe 30%, 50%. And this is not, this is just anecdotal, but my experience has been across three or four campuses over the last 14 years that the average is between 70 and 80% of people say, have a seat. That's excellent. And the ones who say no, don't say, no, you, and <laughs> shake their at you. They're very apologetic. They're very polite and cordial. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm about to get picked up to go somewhere, or my bus is here, or I've really got to study for this exam. I'm sorry. It's maybe 0.1% of people that have ever shown any tone of hostility in their voice when they've declined. So what do you, so after you help them work through that, and I'm assuming that some of that, like they intellectually can work through it with you, but they actually have to go experience it a while before it really sinks in. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly with this exercise, the first meeting, I'm just trying to get them to where they'll be willing to come with me the first time and not be, not like back out last minute or be tempted to present some objections uh, uh, about uh -huh. that that feel justified by some sort of misconstrued theology or something like that 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 ended up being lies. That's what John eight point four here on this page is talking about. That Satan is the father of lies. Right? When he lies, he speaks his own language, and and that's uh, I think we're we're all operating all of us with lies that are from the enemy that are trying to keep us from sharing the gospel. Yeah, I agree. They're well-constructed, sensible seeming lies. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. And it's easy to buy them. And uh, sometimes we don't do our, sometimes as Christian community, sometimes we reinforce those lies instead of combat them. So. Yeah. Now I, I will say too, and, and I usually explain this to my guy in this meeting as well. Um, the point of these outings is not to reach the campus with the gospel. They're like, what? <laughs> and I'll tell them, this is a bad strategy for reaching the campus. Um, that's largely because we have no relationship with the person before we approach them and have the conversation. And we have no guarantee of a relationship with them afterwards. It's all contingent on whether or not they actually text back. Mm -hmm. or, you know, we'll meet up after we have that conversation with them. So it's not a good strategy for reaching the campus, but it is a good strategy for getting good at reaching the campus. Yeah. And getting good at reaching the world with the gospel. And so I'll tell them this is, this is, uh, it's hard to say it because it doesn't seem right, but this is more about you than it is about the people we're sharing with. Now, praise God people still come to faith in these first time encounters and conversations. And I think God uses those in his sovereignty to encourage us in these outings. And oftentimes, I mean, he uses it to bring somebody from death to life, but it's, I've had not very great follow-up opportunities with people who I've seen come to faith in these outings, but that doesn't dissuade me 
from doing it because it's not my strategy for reaching people. It's my strategy for getting people ready towards people and even for keeping myself sharp and burdened for the lost. So, so those are some of the byproducts that you see from doing this weekly evangelism is <clears throat> you get better at it. Ecclesiastes 10, 10 here on the paper says uh, in the, the living Bible, a dull ax requires great strength. Be wise and sharpen the blade. So you're just, you're developing the skill of being able to share the gospel well and, and interact with people well in a winsome way. It also results in our exposure to the lost growing. Mm. It's like right. I'm at least being exposed, not just to the lost as in like they're in that car over there that cut me off, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm being exposed to the lost and seeing how like close they could be to trust in Christ. If they could just see the truth of the Bible, if they could just see the truth of what Jesus has done for us and be invited to receive him into their life, they're that far away mm. from passing from death to life. And, and that kind of exposure increases your burden to seize the opportunities throughout your week in between the meetings to speak up and, and engage people in conversation. And I saw that consistently with any of the guys I would try not, you know, sometimes I've heard the objections like, well, if we do this, if we have a scheduled time, then people don't share in other times. It's like they check the box. Uh, and and I just have not seen that to be true. I've not seen anybody who's, yeah, I've not seen anybody who's willing to go every single week and share gospel intentionally, discipline that then doesn't grow in the regularity of their evangelism throughout the week in the non-scheduled times. So it's a, it's a byproduct. And again, it's another one of those enemies lies. I agree. So where do you go from here? So you go through this Bible study and just to, uh, just to show people, uh, there is a, a blank one. I'm assuming this is what you walk through them with and let them fill out their own, their own copy. Or do you just, that would be the, well, to, just to tell the truth, no. Um, <laughs> that would be the the purest uh, New Mexico state way to do it. <laughs> and, and I think I've just maybe skipped a step a little bit to to go ahead and get through it and get ready to get start sharing. Okay, gotcha. Um, but it's definitely a way to do it. You can do the, the fill in the blank. Sorry, New Mexico state. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, this well, is a little bit. This is, this is the Micah... Version. Filtered, yeah. Of the New Mexico of what I have received from New Mexico State's training, which is I've received so much. Yeah. Well, what I what I see is that everyone has filtered it slightly, like Matt does his slightly different than you do it. Maybe I'll have to go back and see if I can go out on campus with your dad to really get the truest form of uh, of this presentation. But all things said, like it's it's different tools. I want people to be aware that uh, those tools are there. Um, and they can go to the New Mexico State Christian Challenge website, uh, which I will put in the show notes, and they can uh, download all these things. And so if you want to go through it, fill in the blank, walking through it with them, uh, which is probably at least how I would start. Um, but, you know, you've done it this this method longer and trained it longer, so I won't criticize you for that. That's how other people may adopt it as it goes. So once you go through this with the guy, you do that the first meeting, where do you go from there? At that point, I'm going to go ahead and say, all right, at this time next week, we're going to go out and actually share. And I want to go ahead and let them off the hook 
and tell them no matter how confident I perceive that they are or not confident, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to go ahead and just model it for you next week. You don't have to say a word. And if you feel uncomfortable not saying anything, you're welcome to jump in. But I want to give you the opportunity to see this presentation in action and you can be an observer. Mm-hmm. And then little by little, as we keep going week after week, I'm going to hand off more and more parts of the presentation to you until we will get to the point where I seem like the observer. I'm not really saying anything. You're leading out completely. And and once we get close to that section, you're get, we're getting close to turning you off leash so that you can train someone But I think that really takes a lot of, it gives people relief is what I have observed that the first meeting, really they have, there's nothing expected of them essentially except to show up. And if I get myself in an uncomfortable situation, <laughs> so that they'll only have a vicarious discomfort, if any discomfort. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that's so important. And to give an example, I've got, uh, the listener doesn't know this, but I've had to interrupt Micah a couple of times because we've got plumbers over at our house and some plumbing issues. And it started last night and I had looked at it before that, but I just didn't want to tackle it because it was like, I don't know what all is behind there. But when the plumber was there and they had issues, yeah, I'm happy. Now, now once I know someone's great is there with me, I'm happy to jump in and help and learn and try suggestions. And because I know more or less what I feel like is, well, if I really mess something up, the person that can fix it is here. And so I feel like, I feel like that's the same way uh, when we do this. If you can say, hey, all, this time, all you have to do is come with me. Right. Let me model it. And it, it does take a lot of pressure off. And, uh, you know, something your dad said the first time I was visiting with him about this, he was just saying, most people have never, ever actually seen someone else share the gospel. And that's, that's huge. Right. And, and that's just speaking to discipleship in general. I think the piece that's lacking from our general discipleship approaches largely is modeling. Mm-hmm. Again, partially because we confine our discipleship meetings to meetings where we pull away from the do aspect of walking with Jesus to talk about doing. And so the person that we're investing and mentoring doesn't get to see it in action. And, and I've been personally really benefited by getting to see somebody do something that I was pretty unconfident in various settings. And, and that has just shown me like, man, modeling goes along with and Jesus ways. totally did that. Yeah. So, uh, so where do we go from here? You go out the first time. Here's the, yeah. here's the three question approach. How do you begin training this guy? Yeah. In the first meeting too, we're actually going to walk step-by-step through this approach, especially okay. focusing on the beginning of it. Cause that's the part that I'm going to be passing off to them sooner than later. And I'll tell them we're just, we're going to go up. And we're not going to say we're with BSU Christian Challenge because I'm not there anymore. But usually I'll just say, we are going to approach somebody. We're going to go out on campus in pairs, and it's me and another guy. We're going to look for a guy who's sitting by himself. Not because it never works to talk to a group or a pair or, or anything like that, because but just because it usually turns into a better conversation. Mm-hmm. If you talk to someone sitting by themselves, because they're able to give you real answers without getting interrupted by somebody else giving their real answers. And 
and you want to tailor what you're saying to the person. It's harder to tailor it to two people mm-hmm. in a sense. So we're looking for one guy who's sitting alone again on a college campus. That's usually not too hard to find somebody. And where do you typically go? Because you're you've been at multiple college campuses. If someone's listening and they've never done this with somebody, and sometimes you just got to jump out and try. Yeah. Where, where do you go find these people? Where yeah. would you typically look? If there's like a student center on campus, that's a pretty safe bet. Um, if the weather's nice, then you can tend to find people outside, sprinkled all over the campus, um, especially near the student center and other areas of that get a lot of traffic. But this is where I also like getting to know the campus. I, I have had the benefit of doing this on two campuses where I was very connected with campus. One, I was a student at New Mexico State, so I knew the campus, knew where, where the people are. And at OU, I was on campus all the time. So I learned the campus. I knew where the people are. There was basically two or three spots where we would end up and we'd look for along the way and then end up at this destination where we knew a lot of people were. And so we did it in New Mexico State. And then whenever I moved here to Fort Worth, I actually got a tour of TCU from the Baptist student director within the first couple months that I was here. I just wanted to meet with him and get to know him. And, and he showed me all around the campus. And so I kind of got my bearings on that campus before I ever went out and did some campus evangelism there. Mm-hmm. And that enabled me to not be a complete, like, you know, if you come onto a campus and you look like you're lost, it can make yeah. you feel less confident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you somewhat know what you're doing and where you're going, it, it just, it's one less barrier. to so, so ask somebody who knows the campus for a tour or to tell you where the people are. Yeah. Excellent. And then... Just generally, I'll, I'll tell them we're going to go up and we're going to approach them. And I'll tell them this. And I learned this from the guy that I trained who was needed to be trained in the social aspect more. Mm-hmm. Like I need to act, break it down, instruct it all the way to showing him how to approach people. Because one of the guys I trained, <laughs> once I finally turned it over to him to approach, do the approach himself, he would walk all the way up to the person who was sitting there. And if they looked up at him, he would pause. <laughs> And kind of like turn around like, oh, uh, I'm not. What? And then they would put their head back down again and he'd get, keep getting closer. <laughs> and he'd get all the way up to the table that they were sitting on and he would be standing right next to him, kind of knocking his fist on the table, like nervously kind of uh-huh. until they finally looked up at him. And he it, it was I mean, imagine kind of like a Don Knotts sort of situation. You're going to have to coach him. And so I'll tell him. We're going to approach them just as though we were walking up to ask them, hey, could you tell me where the bathroom is? Like, just imagine that exact same approach. It's just that instead of saying that, you're going to say, hey, we're going around to people talking about a relationship with Jesus. Would you mind if we ask you a few questions? Now, the tendency on this approach, whenever I actually turn it over to them, is to say, hey, we're going around you know, asking people some questions about Jesus, would it be okay if we talked to you? And that's a subtle difference that you probably didn't even notice, but they flip. Instead of saying, we're talking to people, can we ask you some questions? For whatever reason, the tendency is to say, is to ask the question by saying, can we talk to you? And and I may call me a stickler, but I try to tell my guys, no, like, let's not do that. Don't ask if you can talk to them. Cause I think that too many people 
have a concept in their mind of evangelists. And what they hear when you say, can we talk to you is, can we talk at you? And there's just something more, there's something that feels a little bit less unsettling to be asked. Can we ask you some questions? questions. Yeah. Can we talk to you? Because nobody wants to be preached at. Yeah. Well, the reason why I love this presentation is because there is really no monologuing at all mm. within this presentation. It's based on asking good questions with follow-up questions with follow-up questions and then using scriptures, letting the scripture do the monologuing of sorts. And so that can even leave people with a good taste in their mouth after you've talked with them. And they're thinking, wow, nobody's ever, nobody's ever approached me like that before. Usually they come talk to me and then they want to rattle things off. And, you know, if we were doing chess and you did mm-hmm. the timer of how, how long the moves took, you know, their move took eight minutes before I got to say something again. Uh-huh. And in this presentation, that's not what we're doing. And I don't want it to seem like that's what we're doing on the front end. Gotcha. And so they say, you know, you walk up, can I ask you a few questions? They say yes. Then what? Well, first I'll say, if they say no, and I'm training the guy, we're going to say, that's fine. That's fine. And I hope you have a great day. And and if we have some tracts on us, Matt will be talking about his <laughs> tracts. But if we have a tract on us, this is where I'll take the opportunity to say, but is it okay if I just leave you with this? Because who knows if maybe they will read it in Christ, even though I don't get to be a part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we're going to let them off the hook right away, which is comforting to the sharer and to the person being approached. That there is no pressure at all, again, because we trust God that he's already prepared who he wants us to talk to that day. And maybe the reason they said no is so that we'd get to the person down the line who will say yes, that God really wanted us to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if they say yes, then we I just say, you mind if we sit down? And here's a nuance to, again, this is just kind of... This is part of the New Mexico state training. Don't sit surrounding them. There's two of you mm-hmm. and one of them. Don't sit on the other side of them because then they're oh, mm-hmm. feeling like they got to do back that. and forth. Yeah. Or it totally takes the other person out that's not talking as much out of the picture because they're just looking this way the whole time. So I try to tell them we're going to sit on the same side of that person if we can help it um, so they don't feel surrounded. Okay. That also helps if they have having somebody come and join them later, they have mm-hmm. somewhere to sit that, that they can sit next to their friend, mm-hmm. yeah, their boyfriend, you know, whatever. Yeah. Excellent. And then another thing that I've, that I make sure to tell them is, you know, we're going to try to establish rapport when we first sit down. And that's really easy when you're a student on that campus, because you know, the campus, you can, Hey, where are you from? What are you studying? Oh, you're studying this? Are you taking this professor? Oh, I have a friend who's in that class. You, you know, you're just trying to establish common ground, which establishes rapport and hopefully helps to show you're a you're just like them mm-hmm. or as close to just like them as they could imagine. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take long to do that, you know, a minute or two. Yeah. Then I'll tell the person I'm training and then just you got to just go right for the first diagnostic question that's listed here. Okay. Go ahead and transition, whether it's a smooth transition or not, where you just say you, you've been talking about something completely different, like how your football team just won. Mm-hmm. And then you say you take a pause and you go, 
well, so-and-so, you know, because you've gotten their name at this point. I, I recommend that. You know, James, yeah. have you ever given very much thought to spiritual things? The reason why this is a needed segue and a natural segue is because of the way that you approached them. Mm -hmm. There was yeah. no bait and switch. They know exactly what you're sitting down for. And so actually it's weirder if you never get to the spiritual conversation at this point. Because mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you told them, we want to sit and talk with you about a relationship with Jesus. So if you just kept talking on and on and on for three, five, 10, 15 minutes yes. without actually getting the spiritual things, it's kind of like, all right, guys, it, what are we doing here? Uh-huh. Does not catch them off guard if you just ask them, have you given much thought to spiritual things? And that immediately changes the tone of the conversation and they're ready to talk spiritual with you because they already said yes. And there's three different diagnostic questions here. Do you just do you ask some of all of them? Just pick one, whatever you feel like's best for the person you're sitting with. Do you have a default you like to go to? I try to ask all three if at all possible. Okay. Um, and this includes non-scheduled interactions with, with people. Again, this you can imagine this, have you given much thought to spiritual this question is pretty usable if you're in a conversation with anybody anywhere. If you, you know, again, you can just ask it without it even having a buildup. Almost as though this is, I'm trying to be friendly. Um, what's the next topic that I could ask you about? Well, have you ever given much thought to spiritual things? Another way to ask it could be, um, did you grow up in church or any or in any kind of religious organization? Listen to what they say. And during the diagnostics, our goal is not to really do a whole lot of responding. It's it's just hearing, letting them talk. And then ask the next question. The reason I really like to ask the next question is because it takes the nebulous spiritual things from down to a pointed question have you ever been right with um there's some other uh presentations that have said have you have will ask you ever come to a point in, in your life well it's on the third question sorry i'll ask them that question is about relationship with god most people will answer it even people who told me at the beginning of the conversation they're an atheist mm. <laughs> will answer it which is another thing that I tell my guys in the approach. Don't say no for anybody. If you if you go up and say, can we ask you a few questions? And they say, well, I'm an atheist. Tell them, well, that's okay. We'd love to hear what you have to say too. Or if they say, well, I'm a Christian. We'll say, that's okay. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Just because somebody says they are something doesn't necessarily mean that they are or that they would be opposed to hearing what we have to say. And this is shown by how they, they answer these questions anyway. You know, the person who says they're an atheist says, yeah, I think I have come to be right with God. You're like, <laughs> and I think that's how most atheists are, actually. Yeah. Um, and then the person who says they're a Christian and they answer this question with, ah, oh, that's tough. You know, uh, I don't, I guess not. I, I'm getting there. You know, I'm getting there. Uh-huh. Again, tells you what their understanding of uh -huh. uh, salvation yeah. And at this point in time, you're not trying to like correct whatever their views they are. You're just listening like, oh, well, thanks for, okay, interesting. Very, very right. nice. What about, you know, and you're just asking another question. What yeah. about if somebody, what about someone, let's say you sit down with someone, they're Native American and they're like, uh, you know, like, 
or they're Buddhist, you know, they're an international student and they don't, they don't believe there's a God or they don't believe in God the way we do. Still ask the same yeah. question. I prepare when I'm training a guy, I still am preparing him to just keep plowing right through the presentation almost no matter what, because again, people will keep answering your questions more often than not. I would say it's like less than 3% of my conversations between New Mexico, Texas, and Oklahoma. So I know it might be different depending on where you are geographically. And, and on the other, in other countries that don't have a Christian basis, I'm sure it's completely different. Um, I haven't done this presentation like in China or India or uh, Russia or Indonesia or anything like that. Um, but here, even with the more new age religions or Eastern religions that are represented, less than 3% actually would say like, well, I don't believe that there is one God, like, you know, kind of derail the question process. So plan for the 97%, assume the 97%. And then even if they say, well, I don't really believe in God, I can't answer that question. Then I'm going to move on to the third question. In instead of saying, if God was to ask you today, you stood before Him today, and He asked you, "What makes you right with James? What makes you right with me?" I'll ask it just by saying, "Well, what do you think it is that makes a person right with God?" Or what do you think it is that most people understand makes them right with God? So we're still mm -hmm. engaging with this idea of being right with God. It's not some other spiritual thing. It's being right with God. That's that's what's really in question here. Mm. Gotcha. Does that answer that question? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I was curious how you handled that. Yeah. And again, the reason why that third question doesn't say, if God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? Uh, is just because that was tweaked over 20 years ago at New Mexico mm -hmm. state to try and make it a little bit less of a, like a ticket to paradise starting mm -hmm. point mm -hmm. salvation, but it's, it's relational. It's about you and God. It's not about fire insurance. And the question itself could be rephrased to help decrease the likelihood that that's what they'll think this is all about. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And then from here, then do you dive into the three questions? Yeah, I do. And um, and let me ask this. What's the segue? How do you switch from diagnostics to this, or do, does it need a segue? This is where probably experience helps. You know, I've gotten a little bit more experience at being able to take something that they've previously said in the last three to five minutes mm -hmm. and reference it, and then ask this question. So it at least seems like a legit segue, even if it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm. But while I will tell the person I'm training, just ask the question. Just say, okay, well, let now let me ask you this. That's all the segue you need during this mm -hmm. whole presentation. Okay, now let me ask you this. And there you would say the big first question. It's not a diagnostic, but the first question where you're actually going to engage with them and show them scripture to maybe challenge the way they think is what do you live for? And you can rephrase it as what matters most, most to you. What's your drive in life? If they're not understanding what that means. And then again, just listen. The The wonderful thing about this presentation. Um, well, first I'll, I'll, I'll ask my guy, Hey, what do you think they will say as an answer to this question? So I'll ask you, James, what do you think people 
largely, or what are some of the answers people would say for what do you live for? Uh, my family for uh, having a good life, maybe for success, something along those lines. Yeah, all of those are family is probably the most common that I've run into. But yeah, success. Uh, some people will say they're they're wanting to say something noble. Mm. So they'll say, you know, I live to try and help other people and and things like that. And so again, because it's all over the map, I'm I'm not here to correct them. I'll say, wow, that's great. Or I'll make a comment like, man, family is really important. Or that's great that you want to help other people. I, I'm not here trying to make them question their answer yet. I don't want them to question their answer based off of my response. Beautiful thing about this presentation is that I never have to be the bad guy for the most part. <laughs> I carry a pocket Bible with me, a pocket New Testament with key verses from this presentation underlined all throughout it. So they're easy to, to show. And I'll just say, wow, that's great. And then I'll say, is it all right if I have you read a Bible verse that I think kind of speaks to this? Sure. Everyone always says, sure. And for all I know, they've never held a Bible in their hands before and actually read it for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's good. I, I, I feel good about, even if we have to leave right then, I'm like, man, they've interacted with God's word for the first time. And yeah. Isaiah 55 says his word will not come back void. It'll accomplish the thing that it was intended to accomplish. But I'll have him read 2 Corinthians 5.15, which says he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And I will ask them, what does that, what is that verse saying? So it's, it's essentially inductive Bible study. Cold <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> turkey inductive Bible study. Yeah, exactly. Cold turkey inductive Bible study <laughs> for the unconverted. And I'll say, what is that verse saying? I, I used to say, um, well, even this presentation lists, what does that say to you? And after a while, I started to modify it and just say, what is it saying? Because I, I don't necessarily want them operating with the assumption that it can mean whatever it means to me, mm -hmm. different from what it yeah. means to someone else. Like that it's about the reader rather than mm -hmm. the writer. Mm -hmm. And just that nuance of the question helps me feel a little bit more comfortable asking it. What is it saying? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they get it. They'll say, wow, well, this says you're supposed to, like he died for all. And usually I'll say, who's who's he in this verse? And they'll usually say Jesus. Mm -hmm. They have enough of a background to guess that if somebody's dying for everyone, that's probably <laughs> Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, regardless of what they say after that, sometimes they'll just kind of project their own belief system or what's sensible onto the bird. I'll say like, well, you know, this just says that you gotta, gotta do your best and treat people right. And I'm, my instant, my gut reaction is to say, what, where are you getting that? It doesn't <laughs> say that at all. Yeah. Did you read it? But I'll train my guy and say, we're not going to do that. Instead, we have a, a question that will help them hermeneutically interact with the verse better. And I'll just say, can you see how this verse is putting living for yourself and living for God at odds with each other? Usually I do the hand motions because I'm in demonstrative speed, probably. <laughs> <laughs> at odds with each other. And they always say, oh, yeah, whether they got it initially or not. Mm -hmm. I I'm, I'm helping them get it.
And then what I can say is, does that like, here's a good one. Does that fit into your idea of what life is all about? And you can also ask a scale kind of to have something to follow up with. If you were to put your life on a continuum, one to 10, one's living for yourself and 10's living for God, where would you put yourself? And this again, just gets them thinking about their own actual life. You want it to be personal, Mm -hmm. esoteric and philosophical. And, you know, what would you imagine most people say to that continuum question? I would say they'll put it about three to four. My experience is that an uncanny percentage of people put themselves between four and six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, it's just because people figure middle of the road is the safest bet. I don't want to present myself as being too amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I'm not that amazing, but I also don't want to present myself as being too bad because mm-hmm. that's bad. So mm-hmm. maybe middle of the road is the safest bet. I don't know that they're usually giving themselves a super honest assessment. <laughs> I used to ask a question that I heard from someone, that, which was, you know, if you died today on a scale of one to 10, what are the chances are you, you get into heaven? And almost everyone said seven, like that was, seven was the number. So, <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. That, and you, when you do it enough too, like these kinds of questions in, in this presentation, you begin to see the trends, which helps you know how to respond. And, and after years of doing this weekly, I began to see more and more and more trends and I continue to see more and more trends. Even as I live in different places, I can find the common denominators between different campuses and that's helping mm-hmm. me to know how to respond. And that's maybe why I've tweaked and, and nuanced some of the ways that I ask the questions or which questions I really harp on. And then what about the extra verses? To- yeah, I have my guys... First off, I'm going to charge them with memorizing the three big verses that go with each of the three questions. I want them to do that. And then if they do that, then I'm going to start giving them these other verses to have because it's just really helpful. Even though you're showing them the Bible, you want to know what they're reading. You want to be familiar with it. Yeah. And be prepared to to share it when you don't have a little pocket Bible on you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these other verses can just help for kind of responding to something that they say if you're kind of at a loss for what to say you can say well one verse that i really like helps me think about it is philippians 3 7 and 8 you know whatever gain i had i counted as loss for the sake of christ so i i like that verse because it shows that living for or actually i really like john 10 10 i forgot (laughs) Uh the thief still and kill and destroy but i have come that they may have life and have it to the full and i'll say i really like that verse because i think it shows that god's idea is for us to have really full life. So when he's asking us to live for him, it's not because he wants us to have this, you know, enslaved life or this obligatory life. He's actually presenting full life if we'll live for him. And that just gives me a lot of peace and and comfort knowing that. To maybe kind of take the edge off of them feeling like, are you telling me I'm selfish? At the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, I'm not telling you you're selfish. The Bible is, but... Yeah. And then I'll move on to the second question. And we can go through the whole presentation this way, but if you have any overarching questions. I think I think at least let's at least hit the questions and then any of the key any of your key things that you either nuance a little bit or kind of where you go. I think those are the things I'd like to hit. 
again, with, uh, with question two, this is one of the ones where I typically just throw out the segue and say, well, here's another question for you. Cause it can be hard to go from where you were to mm-hmm. this question. And, but you've set yourself up to be able, you said, can we ask you some questions? questions. So yeah, I, I don't want my, just a caveat here. I don't want the guy I'm training to come with the paper and be looking uh-huh. off of it while we're talking <laughs> to the person. <laughs> that's kind of, um, they've got to memorize. Kind of yeah. They've got to memorize. Essentially they memorize the approach first. Then do they memorize the question second along with the verses? The way that I hand it off usually like, so second outing, usually I'll ask them, all right, are you ready? I would like you to do the approach today and that's it. Cause there's probably plenty of feedback that they're going to need based on how they do the approach. So I want them to do all the approaches for that day. And then the next week, usually I'll give them the approach and the diagnostic questions. And then, the, you know, if all things being equal the next week, I'll say, I'll tell them in advance the week before. Next week, I'm going to want you to do the first question. You've seen it now two or three times. I want you to go through the whole first question from the beginning all the way through the, fir- the first question and, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of how they're memorizing it as well as week by week. Gotcha. And so the second question, what, are, what causes all the world's problems? What are the nuances or what are the things that you train them to deal with here or... Is there any way you like to word that pretty differently? I mean, I feel like that's a great question that is also a, you can ask that at any point in time of anybody you meet, you know, it's a. It's a, and you can see that with both questions one and two, that in normal conversation we have with people, you could ask, the, it, it, it can become very organic to ask this question. You know, the, the international trade lo- is complaining <laughs> if you've noticed in the people really bond through complaining mm. in the way the world operates and so you find yourself if you're at the barbershop or at the hardware store or at the park or at the pool or wherever at work you notice that the way that people seem to connect with each other is by complaining together mm-hmm. you always are finding people complaining about things not being right and that can just make it so easy to ask this question after you've engaged with them a little bit to ask like, man, it just seems like wherever you go, these kinds of problems exist. What do you think causes all these problems? And and one nuance that I've started doing lately is including in this question, what do you think causes, what causes all the problems that people in the world have? Um, Just because I'm more asking about humanity's problems within humanity than I am asking about natural disasters and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. It usually doesn't trip them up, but maybe it can just help if I talk about like humanity's problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. It at least points the discussion a little more clearly where you want it to go. Right. Cause this question too, I, I'll tell my guy too, we're going to camp out here. It's probably going to feel like we spend most of our time here because I don't want to get on to the solution before establishing the problem. There's no good news if there's no bad news. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of time in our evangelism probations, we, we get to the good news before the person has a full appreciation of the bad news. And that's why Jesus said that the sick, only the sick need a physician. Those who are healthy need no physician. 
And, and I'm really trying to see if we can get to the point in this conversation through question two, where the person recognizes that they're sick mm. <laughs> and that they need a physician. Otherwise, the good news about a physician is only kind of good. Like, oh, okay. Well, I guess yeah. that's good for people who are sick. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But if you know you why. have cancer, a physician's yeah. really great. Yeah. And I'll usually break up this this question into like 2.1 and 2.2 or 2A and 2B because the first thing that I'm trying to establish through this question and, and through Romans 3, 10 through 12 and, and verse 23 is the like the the problem of sin personally or the presence of sin personally, like that we do wrong. And then I don't want to move on to the next question before I also have talked about the penalty for sin. Because mm. uh, I think people would be happy to acknowledge like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're, no one's perfect. We're all sinners. We all do wrong. And that's just how it is. So we have to accept it you know, and just try to be better. But what I really want to establish with 2B is, no, and and the wages of sin is death. Yeah, everybody sins, but that's not just hunky-dory, like just something that we we live with and are okay with. There is a mm-hmm. totally undesirable consequence mm-hmm. for sin. And if we've established that everyone sins, and you, including you, and we've established that the penalty for sin is death and separation from God forever. Then what does that mean for you? And now that we've, they've answered this question and they've gotten it. Like that means that I deserve death, whether they say it in those words or not. Now I can move on to the third question, which says, do you think there's a solution that works for everyone to solve this problem? Because I feel like it, it's going to land or it's going to feel more. Like we want to talk about the solution at that point. The downside to camping out on question two is that sometimes they have to leave suddenly and you've only made it, you've been camped out in the bad news for the whole time. You didn't get to the good news. And I, I just try to have like one verse in mind that I can leave them with if they have to leave, either to show them as they leave or to just give reference as they leave and ask, ask them, please look it up. Um, that would give the whole, the whole gospel. And there's a number of verses that that can do that. That's kind of like giving a tract. That's good. What do people typically respond to when you ask them that? Is it one solution that works for everyone? Amazingly, the most common answer is greed. Oh, sorry. I'm answering question two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I'll, I'll, so question two, the number one answer is greed. Greed is what causes all the world's problems. Number three very rarely does anyone say yes. Even legitimate Christians don't say yes. yes. You peel back the layers and get become pretty convinced they have trusted in Christ. It's just like, no, it can't be one that works for everyone. People are too diverse. The world is too diverse. Everybody's in a different situation. There can't be just one. So like 99% of people say no. No, there can't be. And again, at this point, I... I just skip down to the third bullet. I don't spend a lot of time trying to convince them that there can be one solution and, you know, talk about and try to tackle like pluralism or anything like that. (laughs) Instead, I'll just ask them if there was one solution that really worked for everyone, would you want to know? 
And in this case, everybody says yes. I think I had one person one time who said no. And he was really thinking about it. And it was kind of like he was it was like he was answering a riddle and he thought it was a trick question. And so he's like, I'm going to say no. And I was able to talk him through like, well, what? this isn't a trick question. Would you? Oh, OK. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> everybody says yes. They would want to know. How could they not want to know the solution that works for everybody? And that just leads right into John 14, 6. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. With with all of these verses, like the ones in question two, the ones in question three, I'm doing the same thing as question one. What does that verse say? say. Mm-hmm. What does that verse mean? Yeah. Yeah. And helping them if they're totally off. I'm, I'm helping them without telling them they're wrong. If I can help it, I, I don't want to tell them like, I don't want to shame them. Mm. But I mm-hmm. them feel like they didn't get it right. Because I also don't want them to be reticent to try and read the Bible for its meaning moving forward. Mm. But I want to keep them encouraged to read the Bible for what it means. Yeah. If at all possible. Yeah. And let the Bible, let the Bible do its power and speak. Yeah. And then you lead them to a response. Yeah. And if there's any, tendency towards monologuing at all it's probably here at the end of question three for me mm-hmm. well, i really want to make sure that they and, and i've i've kind of learned how to make it question based still mm-hmm. so that it's not me going on a on a monologue for several minutes it's me asking them questions and then kind of saying yeah because da, 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 da. And, and at this point i i don't think it's planned but i tend to get more animated because I think I'm feeling the urgency. It feels like they're feeling the urgency and it feels like we are approaching a culmination mm. conversation. And, and so I feel like I can speak with a little bit more passion and it's good to show your passion mm-hmm. for the gospel. It mm-hmm. really is good. Yeah. Uh, but then also a, a common uh, deficit in evangelism and in some presentations is the lack of training for how to actually invite somebody to make a decision right then and there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, how do you like to do that or what nuances would you put on that? Well, these questions right here are great. Do you think you understand what you would need to do to be right with God after we've kind of talked about it? And mm-hmm. and I used to say, have you ever done this before? You know, once we established that like Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, have you ever done that before? And I stopped asking that question because I think people felt like they were supposed to say yes, whether or not they actually could pinpoint at a time when they mm. did. Because it seems like if I say no, then there's like something wrong spiritually mm. or like, like I'm in this category now and I don't want to be in that category. So they'd say yes. And I'd ask them, well, tell me about that. And they'd say, well, my grandma was in this car accident about three years ago and uh yeah that but she lived and that really just i think that was a time that was really meaningful to me yeah they they don't they're not really putting it together uh-huh they haven't yeah. actually come to a moment of repentance of sins and faith in jesus christ but they feel like they're supposed to say yes so i go ahead and just assume they haven't mm-hmm. frankly mm-hmm. and i ask them you think you understand what it would take? And then can you think of any good reason why you wouldn't be willing to receive Christ into your life today? 
And I figure if they've done it and they know they've done it, they'll tell me. <laughs> yeah. And then I can work with them on assurance of salvation. If you find out that somebody is a believer during this conversation, just think of it as an assurance of salvation conversation and walk back to that very, the very beginning, the diagnostic question of God asks you, what makes you right with me? What would you say? If they said anything other than, well, it's nothing I've done, God, but through Jesus, you made it possible for me to be right with you by trusting in him. If they said anything other than that, then you have good grounds for just encouraging them and saying, hey, well, I, I would just re remind you of this. You answered this. Now that we've talked about what it really takes to be right with God, would you answer that question any differently? And it can feel like the conversation was still worth it, even though you found out, oh, you're a Christian? No. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Um, and then from there, try to get their contact info. Yeah, if the, if the person agrees, like they say, I can't think of any good reason to trust Christ. I say, you want to do that right now? You can do it right now. God's been listening to everything we've been saying the whole time. And he will listen to you if you just speak to him now and admit that you're a sinner who needs forgiveness and that you want to, you trust that Christ died for your sins and rose again so that that could be possible. If you do that now, you can receive him. And, and then I'll usually kind of gauge do they seem like they don't know how to do that? Most people don't know how to pray and they're very intimidated to pray, even in their head. So I'll, I don't want to lead with this because I don't, if they will pray on their own, that's even better. Mm -hmm. But engaging on if they're kind of hesitant, I'll say, if it would be easier for you, I can voice a prayer and you can repeat after me, praying it to God, as long as you really mean it. And uh, more than half of people opt for the cut the, the yeah. repeat after version and then afterwards i'll ask them these follow-up questions that are listed here right did you mean what you just prayed where is jesus right now kind of helping them to see that like he's within the heart i mean uh this where was jesus 30 minutes ago can again help them see that a change has happened well he wasn't in my heart he was hovering or he was you know Yeah. And then, yeah, with the follow-up, you're trying to set up another meeting as quick as possible because now Satan's whole game plan for this person is not to keep them from hearing the gospel. If they're now become a child of God, it's the, to get them to believe that that was in, to invalidate it somehow. And he'll start lying to them in, within the first 24 hours. It can't be that easy. You've done too much bad. Those guys were crackpots, you know, or that couldn't have, it can't really have happened today. And so you want to, as soon as they will meet up with you again, try and meet up with them and ask for their phone number. That's another thing. People don't like to ask for phone numbers. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a conversation. Most people are willing to give their phone number. So just, I would say, just ask for it. Hey, can we, can we swap numbers? I want to, I want to be a help to you now. And that can, that's even true. If they say, no, they're not ready to trust Christ. Then you make a plea and, and say, it's urgent. I, I hope that you will really consider it. And, and uh, do you have a Bible? You know, I offer them a Bible or a way to get, that can be another reason to meet up with them. Well, I have a Bible that I could get to you. Is it cool if I bring it by later tonight or tomorrow or where, where you're going to be? That can be a good pretext for following up with somebody, whether they trusted Christ or not. And then, uh, yeah, just try to meet with them and, and talk about assurance of salvation. Yeah. And then, uh, 
Yeah. What kind of what kind of follow up or how long will you try to follow up? Someone gives you their phone number. What's that look like? Especially as you're adding people weekly, you know, to your your Rolodex. For those people old enough to know what that term means. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I'm I'm not sure you your uh, audio cut out a little bit there. Oh, I was saying, how how long do you follow up with them, or like, what kind of level of tenacity do you give to that? How long do you follow up with them if you're not getting responses? Yeah, and and here's where, again, I, I probably could be more tenacious in following up with them. I usually text them once or twice. If they text me back, that eggs me on. Yeah, yeah. If they don't text me back at all, I might text them one other time, like a while later and just tell them, hey, I was thinking about you and try to give them a Bible verse that would encourage them without necessarily trying to ask them for something like to meet up with me. Just because I want them to think favorably towards me and be and be warm towards maybe meeting up with me because I don't I don't just represent expectation to them. But uh, like I said, there's not a great follow-up rate of conversion on these kinds of evangelism outings. And so it's not a great strategy for reaching the campus or making disciples. But when you lead somebody to, when that person you've trained now has the boldness and the wherewithal and the, the ability to share the gospel with people that they already know, that they see regularly now follow up becomes really possible discipleship. And I, I've seen God like all the time this happens. This semester, there's a guy who wanted to go with me to do some evangelism while I was I was taking my guy, I was training, and he said, This guy said, There's two other guys that want to come with us. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, we have to figure out a way to we'll pair up differently and I'll send, I'll let this one guy come with me. And he was like, I've never done this before. I've never done this before. And he's like, he's in Bible college, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's 25. Like so often we, ex we assume that people have shared the gospel and they haven't. Yeah. I told him, I let him off the hook. I, I, I can just uh, kind of do the presentation and you can observe or you can jump in. He's like, I think I'll observe. Mm -hmm. And that day we led someone to Christ, uh -huh. right? The very first person we talked to. And the guy who came with me, his mind was blown. He was like, does this, is that pretty normal? I said, well, no, it's not like normal that we lead the first person we talk to to Christ, but people do come to faith. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And he was just jazzed and he's come to a more evangelism outing since then. And it just so happens that guy we led to faith has actually been a success story on follow-up mm -hmm. because it's so in partnership with the campus ministry. Mm -hmm. on that campus and he started coming to their lunch bible study and i've been able to meet with him again and, and like he's actually taking steps mm. in walking with christ which is really cool and i'm getting to yeah. celebrate with this young man that i took out one time to share with me he's not been out another time with me he's gone with other people and been paired up with other people but i just believe god does that the timing mm -hmm. of it so often to encourage us and that happened for me when a a super senior was training me as a freshman. The first person we ever went up to approach ended up being a high school classmate of mine. 
So I had to sh- not be just a mute <laughs> observer, which uh-huh. kind of pushed me forward. Yeah. And then the second person we ever talked to, I had already been ta- shared the last time. So I thought, well, I'll go ahead and lead on this one too. And I got to lead a guy to Christ. The second week I'd ever gone out and done that kind of gospel share. And I was thinking, man, God did that so that I would be totally ready to go share the gospel. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So just to ask that, so you got trained in this by a super senior at New Mexico State who'd been trained by? Isaac Simmons. Well, you can express our gratitude, our gratitude to him that he trained you and that you get to share with us here today. I'm Um, grateful to him too. I really appreciate this. Just to share a cool story with you, not that I expect this from everybody and I'm not, I'm not great on following up as well, but our friend Jake at uh, New Mexico Highlands, he met the campus minister sometime and for three years, Jonathan texted him once a, once a week, basically just inviting him to Christian Challenge. Got zero response. For three years, he kept texting him. And then finally, a crisis had happened. I don't remember the whole story. And uh, he was like, yeah. And so I, uh, I, I encouraged tenacity. There's, yeah. I, and I'm impressed with Jonathan's tenacity and in, in yeah. continuing that follow-up. So I think we can. Yeah. Tenacity, let's say. Yeah. Almost, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I think sometimes it's like, you know, if you lost them, you lost them. Like another text message, they're either going to keep listening and getting them and deleting them, or they're going to block your number. Either way, it doesn't matter. And I'm sure, I'm sure Jonathan was sending out some form of a bulk copy paste text, you know, most weeks. But you know, that, that tenacity pays off. Anything else you'd tell us? I really appreciate you running through this. Anything else you'd tell us about how you go about training a guy when you're training him? Something very important that's after the conversation is debriefing. Mm-hmm. I think it's real. Like that's where the real learning I think happens oftentimes mm-hmm. is in debriefing the conversation. And, and that's probably where they're most tender to, to be teachable. Mm. at any other time is after you've done some evangelism and asking them, what did you observe? And what do you think went well? And and what stood out to you? And what were you challenged by? And, you know, and, and even if they're doing part of the presentation, you know, being willing to say, how did you think that went for you when you were doing this and, and being able to say something like, you know, well, you know, I don't mean to be a stickler, but, if you'll do this instead of this, I think it might help. And and I, I go ahead and tell them, like, you don't have – the goal isn't to be stuck in this rigid presentation for the rest of your life. But I'll tell them, uh, you know, whenever I was in elementary school basketball, if I dribbled around my back during a dribbling drill, I would get in trouble. Mm. Because we're supposed to be working on dribbling with our left hand and dribbling with our right hand and maintaining control. If I dribbled between my legs, it was like, what are you doing, Inglehart? Getting fancy. But nobody gets mad at LeBron James for dribbling between his legs or around his back. It's because he's put in the work of getting the the fundamentals down. Mm -hmm. So now he can work in creativity and agility and responsiveness. And so I kind of set that up as, again, it sounds like I'm being a stickler. But it's just because I want you to be really good at this so that you can launch, it can be a launch pad. 
for you. And and I, if you don't get really good at it, you won't have something to train your your guy in later because it'll be this fluid thing of just intuitive sharing the gospel. And it's harder to train somebody in your own intuition than it is to train them in a presentation. So get really good at this. I'm going to hold you to it if that's okay with you. And then we'll get better and better at being agile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who's who's like, man, that seems like a lot of work and maybe even a complicated presentation um, to take a year to train somebody in? Why don't we just train them in the bridge method, for example, you know, and we can train them in yeah. a day? Well, I will say this. Um, this presentation, it doesn't work to just give it to somebody or like share it with them. I, I don't expect anybody listening to this podcast to be able to go out and do the three questions tomorrow. Even if you listen to it like eight times. So it really does require the time of repetitive demonstration. Mm-hmm. And that might make you think like, is it's not worth it. I can teach somebody a different presentation quicker. And that may be true. I, I, I'm not saying this is the only presentation that works. Mm-hmm. For me, the reason I like it is again, because, because it's question-based and because it's Bible verse based, mm-hmm. I feel like I can use it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes me feel the least awkward, yeah. which is one less barrier. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so just... it's cool that week after. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I can't remember if it was the, the day that you and I went to go do the three questions presentation here in Fort Worth or the week after. I had told you that oftentimes I can use this in conversations that just come up mm-hmm. and freshmen on our campus, our Bible college campus, presumably who's a believer who had to demonstrate that to get admitted <laughs> came in and started talking to me about our upcoming staff versus students softball game. And one thing led to another. And as he demonstrated that maybe he was not as secure in his salvation as I would have expected, I was able to pick up with these questions and I was just, I was asking questions from this presentation and it led all the way to him realizing that he needed to repent and trust Christ and doing so. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that happen. Like it gives me tools to talk to somebody on an airplane who's sitting next to me, to talk to somebody at a park or to, to talk to a relative or a friend. Like I just really like the question based and the fact that I got agile at it, but you can do that with a lot of presentations. I just, Mm-hmm. I like this one, one you like. Yeah. There's something, I think there's something to be said also just for needing to spend a year with somebody. You know, if you take them out, let's say two semesters, 36, roughly 36 times that they go with you to share the gospel, like that's just really good training. And your chances of them doing that and go ahead and continue with that are pretty high. And it's fairly universal. And I have, you know, there's a lot of, of presentations I like. I like I like the Romans Road. Um, I like the bridge. I like three questions. And they're all fairly easy to use, but no one took me out. And it's harder for me to see how I would like continually take somebody out. And some of those, those can be used in different times, but some of them you need, a, you need something to write on. Some of them a little harder to be conversational about. So if you're listening to this, and I encourage you to to read through it. You can get it all um, at New Mexico State. What's their What's your website? I'll put it in the show notes, but so we can have it verbally here. Yeah, that's uh, nmsuchristianchallenge.org. 
nmsuchristianchallenge.org. Excellent. I would encourage. Yeah, under resources. Excellent. And it's it's referred to as Campus E. Okay. Yeah, meaning campus evangelism. That's what that's what everybody calls it at New Mexico State. Okay. Campus E. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And what one more question? What if you're someone listening and you're not near a college campus? Where would you try to find people who, like, you could go door to door, but then you're kind of there's I don't know if there's anything wrong with that, but you're you're interrupting something. I'm not usually too happy when someone comes to my door. Where would you go about finding somebody? A good place to practice and approach and train people. Yeah, and it really does. I think that where you are in your setting has some bearing on what presentation you want to use. Mm. Um, but th there's a New Mexico State grad who's an engineer down in Houston, I know, who goes, I think, every Sunday afternoon to the parks in Houston. And, you know, most of his conversations end up being with, it seems like, based on the stories he's writing up, because New Mexico State students and alums are encouraged to write up a paragraph summary of any time they share the gospel with people and send it in. So they can be dispersed to everybody and everybody can be praying and be encouraged. I highly recommend sharing about when you share and encouraging others to share with you because it just keeps you going. But it seems like this guy mostly gets to talk to a lot of homeless people, which is a whole different ball game. Anyways, you want to know who you're dealing with and what the trends are there. But he's using this presentation at parks. I've done it during Project Impact Summers in shopping districts cities we've done it in parks it may be that you want to do a different presentation if you're if you're not uh, on a college campus the hard thing about someplace that's not a college campus or mall, mall malls you can do it in malls too mm -hmm. is maybe you're not necessarily finding people who are not doing something mm -hmm. they're on the go and you might have to kind of stop them or like you said in their home they they were it's kind of an intrusion on the rhythm of what they were doing and they're standing there at the door. So maybe consider some creative ways to adjust it. But at the end of the day, just go for repetition. I, I've always said that I think Nike stole evangelism slogan. Just do just it. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll learn and, and you'll be able to help other people. Yeah. Yeah, Matt told me once. He said the best best presentation is best evangelism presentation is whichever one you'll use. And so, yeah. Um, but yeah, parks seem like a good place. Food court, shopping mall. <laughs> Find that husband who's sitting around tired of shopping and uh, in the I don't care chair. Yeah, yeah, in the I don't care chair. That's exactly right. Well, awesome. I appreciate you, Micah. I uh, hope that uh, your sharing and training there continues to go well at Baptist Texas Baptist College. Look forward to running into you again sometime soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, James. Praying that, uh, yeah, that everybody who listens will just be somewhat more encouraged to get out there and be a witness. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, listeners. We'll catch you next time on the One Link Podcast. <laughs>